Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Welcome once again to The Catch on Blog Talk Radio. My name is John Fisher, and I this is my favorite hour of the week, uh, where I get to talk to some really smart, fascinating people. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you, um, that was one of the, my high points of... Uh, of being in college at at Wheaton, um, and that was realizing that it's possible to have a mind and be a Christian, and uh, discovering people like C.S. Lewis and uh, 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 oh, oh, Blaise Pascal from the 17th century um, was just uh, incredible uh, for me to realize that uh, you can have a mind and you can have a faith. And uh, so I love to have those kinds of people on this show because they help us think and they help us cut through some of the myths that uh, are in our culture and in the church and, and in especially the subculture of the church. And, um, that's why I'm very excited about our guest uh, tonight, because we're going to debunk some myths here along the way, I think, um, in terms of the founding fathers and origins of uh, democracy in America with a, with a view to where are we going and, and, and what, is, what is the role of the church now in um in 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 this country and uh so it's a it's a very chaotic time we live in very challenging and uh complex and that's why we need help thinking through this and uh here to help us tonight is uh, a professor of history from wheaton college the arthur holmes chair of faith and learning. Please welcome Robert Tracy McKenzie, and we and his students know him as Tracy. Tracy, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, The Catch. John, it's just a real delight to be with you. Looking forward to our conversation. Great. I am too, very much so. Um, Now, your book, by the way, we, we, we're jumping the gun a little bit. It's not out yet. When, when's it going to be out? Uh, the book that you're referring to uh, yes. called We the, the Fallen uh, People. We the Fallen People. Uh, yeah. Um, it's scheduled to be released by University Press uh, in late September. I think the 26th of September, as I understand it. So not okay. too long from now. So, yeah. But if you are 
inspired by this interview, and you will be, I guarantee you. Um, you can't just run out and buy it, um, but uh, maybe you could. Uh, are they doing pre-sales maybe on Amazon or something like that? Well, you can you can yeah. order it in advance. That's possible even now. Um, okay. And I'll also mention there will be just a little bit of a teaser in uh, the September issue of Christianity Today, which will come out at the beginning of the month. I have an article in that um, that's drawn from the book. Oh, great. Okay. Well, the the full title of the book is We the Fallen People, obviously taken from We the People and the Declaration of Independence. Uh, the subtitle is The Founders and the Future of American Democracy. Uh, Tracy, tell us what motivated you to write this book. Uh, well, just a, a very deep sense of, of calling, uh, John, um, on a couple of levels. Uh, to, to start uh, with one level, I'm uh, an American. I love my country, and um, I fear for its, for its future. Uh, somewhat, some of that is um, emerging from my studies as a historian for the past uh, three decades. And um, one of the things I think that history teaches is that democracy is really fragile. Uh, mm. And it doesn't have to be um, toppled by some external enemy. Um, it can be undermined and gradually uh, erode in a lot of ways, a lot of subtle, insidious ways. So I, I fear for the future of American democracy. Uh, but on another uh, level, for me, uh, a, a deeper level, uh, I'm a Christian, uh, and my my greatest burden is for the church. Uh, when I uh, observe the testimony of the Church of the United States uh, right now, um, it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to write something that might speak to Christians who know that something is wrong, uh, mm-hmm. And are just wanting to to think more about what is what is going on and how we might uh, proceed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you stress your concerns uh, uh, for the future of American democracy as you as you just spoke. Can can you put our current political climate uh, in, in a in a kind of historical context? I mean, how bad is it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, you know, as a historian, I, I, um, I'm sort of reflexively skeptical when scholars pontificate about, um, you know, how uh, posterity will remember a particular moment in which we're, we're living. But I'm going to do that myself anyway right now. I really yeah. think we are living in a historically uh, extraordinary time. Uh, and so if we just think back to last year, to 2020, and start to put that in uh, into context, it's really pretty amazing. Um, yeah. In 2020, uh, we experienced, and as we are still struggling with, the worst health crisis uh, in a century uh, since the Spanish flu of uh, 1918 uh, to 1920. Mm-hmm. Uh, we began to experience the, the worst economic crisis uh, since the depth of the Great Depression, uh, in the early 1930s, so 90 years uh, earlier. The worst civil unrest beginning in, in the spring of 2020 with the uh, death of George Floyd, the worst civil unrest uh, mm-hmm. since the 1960s. Um, 
the most divisive presidential campaign since the eve of the Civil War. One of my main areas of teaching and research is the American Civil War, and I'm just so struck uh, at the depth of the polarization that we uh, now see all around us. And it does remind me in some ways uh, of the eve of, um, of the Civil War. The most controversial election outcome since the end of Reconstruction, uh, which ended in 1876. So that's just five different um, attributes of the last year, any one of which by itself would be considered remarkable and would be considered a kind of historical milestone. We have all five going on at once. It's, it's a kind of a, a perfect storm. So in that context, I mean, that is to say, we can we don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed to think that we're living in an extraordinarily stressful moment. In that context, uh, all kinds of uh, survey data uh, are telling us the same thing, uh, that Americans are, are more suspicious of one another probably than, than they have been since survey data began uh, around the time of World War II. Uh, it's more common in the United States today to marry someone of another race than it is to marry someone who supports a different political party. Uh, wow. Opinion data says that we, we feel uncomfortable even having conversations with people who dis disagree with us um, uh, politically. Um, a majority of Americans will tell you uh, when they're asked in survey data now that American democracy is weak. Almost two-thirds of Americans say it's getting weaker. There's survey data to suggest um, multiple organizations have done surveys over several years, and repeatedly, somewhere between a fourth and a third of respondents uh, say that they look favorably on a political system that centers around, and I'll quote here, a strong leader who does not have to bother with Congress or elections. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the name for that, best I can tell, is dictatorship. <laughs> uh, and, and that ought to really get our attention when we've seen things like that. And there's also, yeah. I should say, a real generational uh, element in, in those responses. If you were born before World War II, uh, chances are uh, really high that you'll believe that living in a democratic society is utterly essential to your well-being. Uh, surveys suggest about three-quarters of individuals born before World War II have that view. If you were born after 1990, only about a third of respondents say that they believe it's essential to live in a democracy. Wow. So that really is charting our future. That's where we are headed demographically to a society where the majority of Americans evidently don't think it's that important to live in a democratic society. So to answer wow. the question, things are bad. And, and I, I don't want to overstate the point. Uh, I don't want to uh, sort of sensationalize it. Uh, but they are bad. G.K. Chesterton, the famous British Christian writer, uh, once wrote in the early um, 1900s uh, that really the, uh, the only thing that renders democracy unsafe is taking for granted that democracy is safe. That's, that's my paraphrase, uh, <laughs> assuming that it is stable and will uh, exist perpetually. I think mm -hmm. we've clearly reached a point where we can no longer take that for granted. We, we need to take seriously the possibility the, the democratic society that we've known uh, as a country for more than two centuries um, does not have to survive indefinitely. Wow. Wow. Uh, Tracy, you talk in the subtitle of, of your book, uh, refers to the founders, and in the beginning of the book especially, you go pretty in-depth into the founders of, 
of America and the Constitution. What what do they have to say to us today? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I do focus a lot in the book on uh, the key individuals that were instrumental, especially those who were instrumental in the creation of the Constitution. And one of the things that comes through so clearly uh, when we read uh, their correspondence, when we read the uh, pamphlets that they were distributing, the speeches that they were making, the arguments that they were having in conventions, uh, one of the things that comes through so clearly uh, is that they approached their thinking about politics, about political institutions, uh, about admirable political behavior. They approached all of those questions with a very self-conscious understanding of human nature. And when they gathered uh, in Philadelphia in 1787 to uh, begin to, to try to draft a new framework of government that would become our U.S. Constitution, uh, they absolutely have a certain understanding of human nature in mind, and they're absolutely convinced that if their experiment in self-government is to survive, if it's to flourish, it has to be structured with an accurate understanding of human nature in mind. So what is their understanding of human nature? Uh, well, uh, they would have said, just to sort of distill it down, they would have said, we're, we're basically selfish. Um, people, they said, tend to be driven by two kinds of uh, motivations. One they called passion. And passion is really just sort of irrational. It's just sort of responding uh, in the moment to our circumstances uh, and we also often do so recklessly. We might do so uh, in a way that actually harms our self-interest. That's what they meant by passion. It might be for our good, but it certainly might not be. The other motivation that they saw um, as, as common among human beings was what they called interest. And what they mm -hmm. meant by that was a kind of uh, calculated um, understanding of our self-interest. Uh, and there was a third motivation that they identified as a category, which they uh, talked about in terms of reason, and they talked about in terms of virtue. And they would have said that this category was, was one that was not self-interested, that was rational, it was not irrational, that it was focused on the common good, on the welfare of the society. Then they mm -hmm. took those three categories and they said most people are passionate, Minority of people are are driven by interest, and only a tiny percentage of people of that uh, are truly seeking through reason in a virtuous way to promote the common good. So what wow. it boils down to is they said we're selfish. Uh, we focus primarily on our immediate interests. We don't tend to think long term. Uh, we don't delay gratification very well, uh, and that's that's sort of the way we are. And that's the way that anyone who wants to create a successful framework of government uh, has to understand uh, human nature and make allowances for it. John Jay, uh, who is a name that some might recognize today, we tend not to remember him so well, but John Jay was a prominent member of the Founding Fathers. He was a New Yorker who would ultimately become the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court under the Constitution. And Jay summed it up pretty well when he was speaking about the understanding of human nature. Uh, he said, um, this is essentially a verbatim quote, the, the mass of men are neither good nor wise. Hmm. Now, that's not 
how we like to describe one another. But it was yeah. a way that the that founding generation pretty openly and very consistently understood uh, human nature. So I think the 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 founding fathers would more than anything else uh, like us to take their understanding of human nature seriously. I think they would like us to understand that the Constitution really doesn't make much sense apart from that understanding of human nature. Wow. You know, we talk about uh, a lot of things. I don't know about you, but when I was in junior high, I took a civics class and was introduced to the idea of checks and balances, for example. And we all know that you're supposed to mention checks and balances when you talk about mm-hmm. uh, the Constitution or the division of powers. We know that. Uh, but we so rarely talk about why they thought that was essential. And the mm-hmm. reason that they thought such uh, traits were essential uh, was they were quite convinced that without them, people who were fundamentally selfish, whether they're in office or whether they're constituents, uh, will do things that have the effect of harming others. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I, I argue in the book that pretty much every article, every paragraph, every line of the Constitution – reflects that understanding of human nature. Uh, I think if, if the founders could come to us today, if, if they could sort of uh, make a, a journey to 2021, I think one of the things they'd immediately see is how we have just wholeheartedly rejected that understanding of human nature as a culture. And that's what right. I call in the book the, the great reversal. And one of the things I try to stress is that this is not something new. It hasn't just happened uh, in the last generation, it didn't begin, you know, in the 1960s or when the Beatles came to America. Uh, it actually was beginning within a few years, actually, uh, of the Constitutional Convention itself. So mm-hmm. much so that within 40 or 50 years, the framers' understanding of human nature was just almost wholly absent. Wow. Wow. You know, it's so interesting to me, Tracy, that, uh, you know, there's such a debate uh, among Christians that uh, are we a Christian nation or not? And we're uh, or a lot of debate about whether the founding fathers were Christians. Um, Now, isn't it interesting? I found it so interesting about your book is that, well, guess what? Uh, we may not be able to answer that question, but they sure have a Christian worldview in mm-hmm. terms of the, the the fallen nature of humanity. And yet, I don't think that's the first the thing we think of when we think about yep. them being Christian. Yep, that's exactly right, John. Yeah, the the, the question of um, the founding and whether. We might think of the United States as being founded as a Christian nation, or should we understand those key figures as as Christian statesmen? Um, You know, it's it's an important question, but it has become so politicized um, that I'm, to be very honest, I'm usually pretty suspicious when somebody comes up to me and asks about it. And, Mm -hmm. And in fact, I, I may not always actually voice this, but under my breath, I'm thinking to myself, well, why do you want to know? Uh, because my my sense is that often when we, we want to know were the founders Christian is really because we're already thinking about how we're going to use that answer in some sort of political or culture war kind of conflict. Mm. Um, I, I joke I joke in the book and, and say that it's not so much that we want to learn from the founders as much as we want them to endorse us. 
Uh, and so you, you hear those, um, you know, those political ads right before an election at the end of the ad, here comes on the candidate and he says, mm-hmm. you know, I'm so-and-so and I endorse this message. What we want is to stake out some sort of political position and then be able to cite the founders and let them say, you know, we're the founding fathers and we endorse this message. Um, I, I'm really skeptical that we're that interested in learning from them. And that's a little, maybe a little too jaded, but, um, but I, I worry that we want to use them more than we really want to learn from them. Uh, and wow. so I, I argue that we're really asking the wrong question about the, the founding fathers. Um, and the reality is they didn't they, – they lived at a time when it would have been thought unseemly, I believe, for them to be too conspicuous about their uh, personal religious faith. And so they do not speak about it uh, mm-hmm. much in public, and they do not write about it in the writings that they create for a public audience. And a lot of the best-known founders didn't write about their faith much in their private correspondence. Now, that doesn't prove that they're not Christian, but the bottom line is we don't have a lot of evidence to go on mm-hmm. uh, if we're wanting to make some sort of definitive claim about about their beliefs. On the other hand, they're telling anybody who will listen how they understand human nature. Uh, and so there's a rich, rich historical sort of trail that we could follow to identify the uh, the founders' uh, understanding of, of what motivates uh, human beings. And so well, I argue that um, rather than spending so much time trying to decide whether the, the, the founders were Christian, meaning did they have an authentic, genuine faith, uh, and instead just say, okay, what did the – the founders believe about human nature and can we measure those views against scripture and arrive at a conclusion as to whether uh, their views were consistent with what Christians have historically believed. And I actually think that's a fairly easy task uh, to execute. Wow. Is this some of what you mean uh, when you say that Americans have uh, embraced democracy for the wrong reason? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely talk about is. That a little bit <laughs> more, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I worry. I worried about this in in writing the book that um, because I'm wanting I'm wanting readers to to think more carefully about democracy and the assumptions that go mm-hmm. into it. I feared that some readers will say, "Okay, he's attacking democracy," and that's that's the farthest thing from my mind. Mm-hmm. But I am wanting us to acknowledge that there's more than one grounds upon which to support democracy. There's more than one justification for it or reason to uh, to champion it. I, I started thinking along these lines many years ago when I read an essay by C.S. Lewis, um, who um, in a, an essay that's not too commonly read uh, today, uh, he uh, noted, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, this was during World War II, he, he said there's basically two reasons that you might uh, favor democracy. One reason is because you have faith in human nature. The yeah. other reason is because you do not have faith in human nature. <laughs> uh, and so, so, so basically, those are our choices. So he says, perhaps you think that men and women are so good, we're all so individually good and wise, uh, that we deserve to be heard, and when our voices are heard, uh, the public 
a good is always going to be promoted. That's one, one reason to endorse democracy. Sure. Lewis said that's the false romantic reason to endorse democracy. Wow. The other reason is to say not that we are so good and wise, but that we are so, the founders would say selfish. Lewis actually said wicked, that we are so wicked that not one of us, much less uh, some small group of us, uh, can be trusted to exercise power over our neighbors. Wow. And, and so I, I think that the, the founders had a healthy understanding of majority rule, of self-government in a meaningful sense, that still held uh, in tension this idea that, that we're not particularly good, that we are selfish, that we can't be trusted to exercise power. Uh, and Lewis would have us uh, believe that, that that is the view that is consistent with Orthodox Christianity, that this other view is romantic and false. And part of the argument in the book is that as a culture, and there are exceptions, but overall, we've come to endorse democracy on the grounds that Lewis said was the false romantic grounds. Wow. Um, we endorse democracy because we endorse human nature as fundamentally, essentially good. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of what I want to do in the book is just to have a stop, uh, mm -hmm. meaning Christians especially, stop and acknowledge that and ask ourselves, wait a minute, now, why is it that I think that? And why do I believe that this is an appropriate foundation for a successful um, form of self-government? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, gosh, in our last few minutes, Tracy, um, do you see a way forward, you know, after January 6th? Where are we now? Mm, uh, yeah. Are there positive steps that, that – what do we do as Christians – What's the right way to think about our country and democracy and, and uh, you know, so that we maintain our, uh, the proper witness in the world? Yeah, yeah. Big question. Well, so I that's a great question. It is a big question. It's, a, it's the important one, crucial one to ask. And I can just summarize a few things really quickly. I think the, the first is to uh, – is, is really to take seriously uh, our, our own fallenness. Uh, and to recognize that that mark of the fall uh, affects not only us as individuals, it affects every political party, every political leader, every political movement, every political institution uh, conceivable. Mm. And so whatever uh, sort of side of the aisle we're gravitating toward or whatever uh, movement we're supporting, we're supporting a fallen movement that, that will leaven in all kinds of error with the true insights that it has. Uh, I think one of the things that we need to um, to begin to do is to take seriously rhetoric uh, that the way in which um, political parties and political speakers frame issues, the way that they speak about their opponents, often as mm -hmm. enemies, as um, as traitors, as people who hate our country, and so forth, that effectively mm -hmm. what what we do when we use that language is we're, we're externalizing evil. We're denying that the line between good and evil runs within our own hearts. We're saying it runs between us and them. It's a mm. fundamentally unchristian way of thinking about uh, political wow. issues. So I think that's something uh, to do. I think we need to be absolutely careful uh, about allowing our Christian witness to be too intertwined with any particular political uh, movement uh, or party or individual. 
um, because we are almost certainly uh, associating the cause of Christ with something which is to some degree marked by our selfish depravity. Uh, and wow. we just must not mar our witness to the world in that way. Wow. That is uh, that is so good. And uh, I just uh, – I hope – I hope more people can hear that and uh, get your book uh, in September. Order it now if you want. Um, We the Fallen People, the Founders and Future of American Democracy. And uh, Tracy has a couple other books uh, that I now want to get. The first, Thanksgiving, What the Real Story Tells Us About Loving God and Learning from History. And then I love this, A Little Book for New Historians. A brief primer on why and how to study history, written from an openly Christian perspective. You've been thinking about faith and American history for a long time. Uh, you were blogging at that site. Uh, if you want to hear more about this, you guys, uh, faithandamericanhistory.wordpress.com, and you can uh, go back to some of his blogs uh, earlier times. He's I'm just so thankful, Tracy, you, you've done this kind of work for us because, uh, you know, I, I know we've become dangerously intertwined in politics and we need people who can help us, uh, 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 you know, untangle that. So thank you so much for well, your Well, thank you, John. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk with you and um, I wish God's best for, for your ministry. Thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll look forward to having you again sometime. That sounds God good. Bless. I would look forward to that. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was wonderful. Uh, like all of our shows, they're worth listening to again, you guys. So uh, keep that in mind. And, uh, yeah. There's so much here because there's so much to unpack with uh, what we're doing. Catch with John Fisher. God bless you all. Come back next week. Uh, oh gosh, I think we've got. We might have Randall Bomber next week talking about bad things. Okay, we're working through here. God bless you. Come back. Take care.